Hi, this is Anina Livingstone, and you are listening to my new podcast, Tending the Soul of Relationship. I want to welcome you by offering all of the interviews from my seven-week Clarity of Calling online course. This was the topic of my doctoral research based on my own struggles, curiosity, and passion for the topic. So if you're looking for more clarity, courage, or commitment as you tend to your calling, you've come to the right place. I've interviewed my most cherished mentors and respected colleagues to bring you this wealth of supportive wisdom. If you'd like to take the course in its entirety, feel free to go to my website at www.aninialivingstone.com where you can download the ebook and accompanying weekly guidance. I wish you all the courage and clarity you need to fulfill your calling so that together we can create a more vibrant world. So today I have the wonderful opportunity of speaking with Dr. Anina Livingstone. She's an amazing person who helps women respond to the call of, the, of their soul, who has worked with people for over 20 years to create a greater sense of connection with themselves, their bodies, their spiritual source, the earth, and the small, wise voice within. She is passionate about engaging the soul for the purpose of individual and collective transformation. As a teacher and a healer, she specializes in indigenous approaches to healing, semantic psychology, and the expressive art. Her heartfelt belief is that as each person turns towards and acts upon the gifts that they were born to embody and express, the earth is healed and the world is transformed. She has published a number of articles that can be found on her website, Anina Livingstone, and that's A-N-I-N-H-A-L-I-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N-E.com. Ancestral Living for Ancestral Wisdom for Purposeful Living. Her articles include Ecology and the Imagination, Women and Ritual, Women's Ancestral Roots, and the Ecology of Calling. And what I want to talk to Nina Anina today is about the role of ritual in personal and therefore global transformation. Welcome, Anina. Thank you, Nika. I'm so excited to be here. This is really wonderful. So I have so many questions, it's hard to start. (laughs) But why don't you start by telling me a little bit about what ritual is? What is ritual? Well, there are many definitions, a large continuum. And um, I like to kind of name the whole range. The Mm -hmm. most simple definition I've ever heard was something done with intention. That's probably the most inclusive definition. And on the other end would be something called radical ritual, which is more transformative in intent and could be described as the calling on of unseen powers to create positive change in oneself, one's community, and the world. And so there's there's a whole range, and it can go from, you know, personal daily practices to seasonal rituals to uh, different phases in our lives when we need a ritual, whether we're getting married or divorced or having a child. There's so many there's so many rites of passage in our lives that can be um, honored through ritual. And then, you know, there's times when we need some deep, deep change, and the things that we've been doing perhaps haven't really moved it, and ritual can move things in ways that more linear approaches may not. So that would be part of its purpose is to empower 
power change to move us from a from a habituated state, maybe? Yeah, change is definitely at the core, and I think identity is also at the core. What are and the stories? What are our stories that we're living? What identities are those creating, and how can we loosen those and step into something completely new? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that an individual process? Is that something that you do as a group, uh, that one does as a group? And mm-hmm. well, we, we live in a very individualized culture, but that's right. not how hum- all humans live. Exactly. Well, the, the work I do, I have a series called Rituals for Change, and that is a one-on-one process. Mm-hmm. And I hope to move more into also collective work because I think it's extremely important especially around grief that is, there's so much grief that is unexpressed, whether it's personal wounds, cultural wounds, and now, of course, the wounds of the earth that we're all holding in our bodies and are either very aware of or perhaps not aware of at all. Um, we need containers to help move that, and when those things aren't being moved, we're not able to live really in alignment with our purpose because our channels are clogged. And so I definitely feel like collective work is really important and individual work is is um very potent as well so it can it can be either yeah and how do you use ritual what brought you to ritual and then how do you use it not so much in your own life but to work with all the wide range of people that you work with how is it mm-hmm. um how do you create the intentions or do you create the intentions that you work with um how do you create the ritual yeah. Um, so, I mean, the way I came to it was through a a mentor who was teaching in the Andean and West African, the Dagara tribe traditions, and some Nepalese. Mm-hmm. I came, up, came to her really unexpectedly. I was having a chronic fatigue syndrome, and I was a body worker at the time, and I was needing to find a kind of approach to body work that took a lot less energy. So she was teaching something called cranial sacral, which is much more energetic. And it happened to be that she was teaching it in a shamanic um, approach. And so once I got in that container, I realized that I had this affinity for this work. And within a few years of that kind of apprenticeship, I was one day I was just driving, and I had that kind of immediate kind of something given to me, which was something called Rituals for Change, the words came, Rituals for Change, and then this format came to me, which was three, and some people go longer, but three preparatory sessions, a ritual, which often happens in nature, and it's about two to three hours, and two integration sessions. And the way I work when I do a ritual, basically, I consider the first preparatory phase a phase of gathering. And mm-hmm. in that gathering phase, we're really looking at symbols, and metaphors and myths and patterns that are happening in in one's life. And so we kind of step out of the literal level, which is a very small story, and step into more of a mythic level, which allows Mm -hmm. us to go deeper than the mind and connect to a more collective energy. And so once we gather those... um, the person doesn't necessarily know what the ritual is going to be, although clearly they're the ones bringing the deepest intention for what the ritual will be. Mm-hmm. But through what I've gathered, the ritual is created. 
And so if I've gathered that this person is going through some kind of death-birth process and that maybe their archetype has to do with um, regality or her queen, that might be part of it. We tap into what place in nature reflects what she's going through. So if it's a, say at the beginning, we might do the ritual, and we did one. I did one at four in the morning in the forest, and the end of the ritual was the sunrise. And so it reflects what was going on. She was in the darkness. She was coming into the light. And we work with nature in order to kind of catapult the energy as well as to reflect the person's own soul. Um, And, of course, because for me, again, kind of transformative ritual really depends upon calling upon unseen powers. Mm -hmm. Basically, there's something, there's a structure that you have for the ritual. So there's the known. So we know there's going to be an invocation, which is always creating the container. And then we know there's going to be some certain steps. But then we leave space for the unknown, and that's where the magic happens. We don't know how you could call it spirit, the mystery, nature, the ancestors, whatever your belief system is or whatever helps you connect to something sacred and potent. Mm-hmm. That is what is – that's why ritual is transformative because we're not in charge. We're mm-hmm. just setting up a potent container so we can be accessible and receptive to something wiser and more intelligent that knows how to rearrange our hearts and our beings, and um, we make ourselves available to that. And then at the end, you know, we we close it, and then the person would go into an integration phase, and oftentimes there's particular steps that the person needs to make to kind of concretize and solidify and integrate whatever those changes were that happened in the ritual. So it sounds really interesting. It's It's as if there were a ritual that then the sacred ritual is a part within and that the preparation and the integration. And what I hear you saying is that each one of these is shaped to the individual so that it's however they perceive the mystery, whatever that source we want to call it, what their mythology might be, what their process might be, so that it... So you don't have like a route formula that you go through, that it's very much a process of really listening and evoking perhaps what the ritual would be. You want to talk a little bit about that? Because that sounds like it's a very beautiful and very large and deep part of your work. The invocation or? Well, the, f- figuring out what the person's story uh, is and what their right. mythology is. Right. Yeah, I'm going to go back first to what you said um, about the, the person's own mythology and then how I'm holding it. So I do call on the lineages that have, I've been um, initiated into and taught about. So I hold mm-hmm. those because that's what helps me ground the, the powers that I carry. But in mm-hmm. terms of what the client, how they're connecting with their source, That is very individual. And a lot of what I do, because a lot of people who come to me aren't necessarily religious per se, but they may have a spiritual teacher that feels very present, and everybody has some portal in nature that they may not have realized, and that's so important. Is it the water that helps you transform? Is it fire? Is it being in the forest? Is it being next to... um, a creek, which would be different than an ocean. Like, what, what are your, what are your power sources? 
what are, who are your allies? So we think of allies often as humans. But when we're in ritual and working through ritual, we're really in that kind of earth-based wisdom of the interconnectivity and the potential to be in, in communion and relationship and in resourcing with way more than the human world. So I just wanted to name that in terms of there are some specific um, kind of cosmologies I tap into, and I mm-hmm. love finding out what each person's own cosmology is. And then your second question um, about how how this you want to rephrase the question or, or repeat it so I can kind of tap into that. Well, it's about that that then from your basis that you're very clear and grounded in, and so you have a deep knowledge of within, and they come to you. So then within that container that you create, you're not di- they're exploring what their issue is. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Oh, definitely. And looking for their more their mythology, okay. their connection to source. Exactly. Yeah, and the way I do that and the way I track that is is a very kind of interactive experience and I really love using somatics to help people find that place of what's Can alive you for them. Somatic a little bit for us. I'm sorry to interrupt, but Yeah, no. I mean basically body awareness and also including your field. So say someone's talking and suddenly, you know, they mention uh, a certain place that they spent time once and suddenly, and I've been trained to be able to read energy, suddenly their whole field gets kind of bright. And so I help them, like, did you just notice anything? And I know you do this too, Nika, because right, many, many, right. 20 years ago you were part of my learning about this. Um <laughs> So, and so to help people start tracking their own experience in their bodies, does something contract? Does something open up? Is it in my throat? Is it in my heart? Where is it? And then is it in my field? And did some other um, power or being from the other world just show up? Did an ancestor just show up when you just mentioned your grandmother? Do you feel the room any differently? Where do you feel it differently? Oh, over your left shoulder. What do you notice? Do you hear anything? You know, just really tracking subtle energies. And then in terms of my own ability to create the ritual, it's all about listening. And I use and also teach people to connect with visionary channels. So is it your inner eye that receives the message like, oh, I see this particular place where this ritual has to be. It just pops in my mind. Or I hear it. Oh, you've got to go to Roy's Redwoods. Or I sense something in my body. So helping people track their visionary channels, realize they have visionary channels, and um, and that's where the conversation is most potent when we're when the client and I are both tracking at that level, and that's really where the ritual arises from 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 visionary states. And what I love about the work that I do is that I don't want to go anywhere else to get that information. One of my mentors called it the in-body visionary state. I want to be right here, and I want my client to be right here. <laughs> we don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to leave our bodies right here, and all that otherworldly, mysterious stuff is right here with us. We just need to kind of become more receptive and and realize that it's actually happening. Oh, you just I just lost you. Oh, okay. Yeah, 
I don't know, sometimes when you turn your head, it cuts out a little bit. The phone cuts out a little bit. Oh, okay. I'll try not to yeah. turn my head too much. Yeah. So you were talking about the embodied visionary state? Mm-hmm. And that it's right here with us, that we are in it, that we can open to it? Is that, um... Yeah, that there's nowhere we have to go to become, quote-unquote, spiritually connected. We don't have to go up to some other state. Um, we don't have to become Buddha-like. It's we're wired for the visionary channels that we have. It's it's like an extended part of our nervous system. We're made for this. We've just been taught to not pay attention to it, to discount it, to question it, to doubt it. But it's it's working all the time, and it just takes a little kind of deconstructing the Western mindset to start to to access it and let that guide our lives so that guides the creation of the ritual but also that guides all my work with with people who are accessing their calling when we tap into those channels the the path becomes much clearer and we don't have to think so much so that we really begin to embody so that what we're looking for is that um yeah, I mean, part of it is just the, the compass. The visionary channels, I think, are an incredible compass. So they're the compass for creating the ritual. They're the compass for um, aligning with our purpose. They're the compass for making choices. And in that way, it is an embodiment because it it's all the information is coming through our body. And if we're really listening to our body, it helps us become all the more embodied. Does that make sense? That does make sense. That makes a great deal of sense. And so what I hear is there's a place where the ritual brings us back to ourselves. Very much. Which allows us to move forward. It's very hard to take a step if you don't start where you are. Exactly. (coughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no leaping over. There's no attempt to not be where you are. And I think one of the things about ritual, and in particular during this kind of collective cultural marketing consumer um, mentality we have is that somehow it's supposed to be a quick fix or, okay, I tried all these other things, I'm going to try ritual. And I'm not saying it's not potent and huge change can happen. And life is a process. Everything is a process. And each person's going to bring whatever their innate unfolding is. Um, and so that's one thing I, I like to just mention in that I don't really believe there's any quick fix, but I do believe there are really potent tools. Mm-hmm. So I have a question about that because I have found my experiences in life. I can have an intention or a goal or somewhere I think I'm headed. Sort of like, you know, John Lennon said, life is what happens while you're making other plans. Mm-hmm. But there is something deeper in us, something that, that will will create, will bring us, you know, I don't know if it's self-initiated or comes from the mystery, the universe, the multiverse, whatever it is, or if, if that's not even, if that's a false separation. Mm-hmm. But that that ritual leads us to the place of knowing what we're most in harmony with, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I guess what I'm... What I'm thinking about is how your goals can change by going through this process. Definitely. I mean, some some is very clear. I mean, if someone is going through a divorce or getting married or 
letting go of a job. There there may be rituals that more have to do with almost co- consecrating or acknowledging or honoring. Um, and in, actually, this is a good point to kind of differentiate ceremony and ritual. Um, and ceremony is something that we do that it's planned out. We don't have that spot of like the unknown coming in. And actually don't do ceremony for that reason. That's not necessarily the work I do, although I think ceremony is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, that particular definition of ceremony, I know there are many others. Um, and, yeah, it's true. When you step into that container, we're letting go of the, the thinking, linear, ego mind that does think it knows what's next and does think it knows what needs to happen. And something deeper can happen. I had one client who, you know, came in with a very clear intention, and she actually stayed for six months because her soul didn't want to, first of all, didn't want to move that fast. It wasn't ready for a ritual. Her mind wanted that kind of like, I need to get over this particular thing now, and I need a ritual now, and that didn't happen. So what we did is we listened to the organic process of the soul, and that's what leads the process, not some need to get over something, move into something, break a habit. If that can bring us into the container, and then we need to listen to the mystery and trust that that's the intelligence that's the most valuable. Because my question is, what, how does this fit into us as, as community, not just as individuals? Mm, I see. Like, what does it give a community to do a ritual? Right, what does it give a community? Well, I mean, the beautiful thing, so I've been studying with Maladoma Sume, and his his culture is highly communal, uh, the Dagara mm-hmm. of Burkina Faso. And um, one of the beauties is that each person's unique magic gets to be expressed. So if you're someone who can hold the container and maybe what's called holding the gateway, so you might stand at the gateway of of, of water because you're connected to water, or you maybe have a, a power of creating the actual ritual container where things go is the fire at the center where do people walk in where does the transformation happen where do people leave what place should it be held um or perhaps someone who we have an incredible person who does drumming during rituals and i don't know what we do without him so his magic brings something to the ritual that's completely alchemical and and essential um, maybe your power is invoking, and when that person in the village or the tribe or the community gets to do their magic, everybody is fed. So when one of the things about the collective is everybody gets to find and express their gifts, and so that's really beautiful. Um, there's not, it's not about like in the Western culture where there's one person leading something. So um, that's one of the beauties, and then the other is that um, there's that realization of the humanity of it all there's when one person is grieving everybody's grief is evoked and in collective rituals they have regular um i don't know if you've heard of saban fusame she actually is a, a great resource for anyone interested in experiencing collective ritual and she does work through the united states you want to say her name again really slowly saban fusome yeah she does grief rituals and there's something about being able to grieve in a collective where there's enough people that you're kind of you're not in you're not in the limelight you're not the focus you're just in a wave of of the collective and the depths that people can go to when they're in a collective ritual can be 
really profound and um, the sense of isolation and also what maladoma refers to as the personalization of our problems. Like we have personalized all our challenges and we've lost sight of the fact that this is a collective experience. And as in many indigenous cultures, if one person is sick, there's the problem, there's something wrong in the village. It's not just that one person. So how can we address it collectively? How and beautiful. so that's, yeah. So those, and you know, that's more where, these are more where I'm headed as I, as I continue to grow into ritual. I've really done, you know, over a decade of, of work with individuals and it's starting to move much more into, my interest is moving into, into that whole collective experience. And how does, how does having done this for 10 years, how have you changed? How has it, changed your view of the world or your view of how we, how what you what being human is perhaps yeah. or what potential of being human is so an image that came to me yesterday and a lot of things come to me when I'm in nature as I think is true for a lot of people is mm-hmm. um, is a sewing machine so we have we have the thread that comes up from the earth and we have the thread that comes from the heavens or the cosmos. Mm. And we're here, and this is a Jewish idea of tikkun olam, the repair of the world. We're here either to create something with those threads, something new and beautiful, or perhaps we're here to repair something that's been torn. And so for me, ritual is, that's a beautiful way to describe the way it's informed me of what is my role as a human being. I'm really here as a conduit, and humans are are at their greatest when they're channeling powers beyond their personal identity. And so the earth is always informing us. We are the earth. The cosmos, we are the cosmos. And how can we be the meeting place? And whatever our unique magic is, when we're allowing ourselves to be that place between heaven and earth, those energies will awaken whatever our magic is, and then it will empower us and infuse us with the energy needed to move forward. And when we move forward, it doesn't even feel like our own energy anymore because we're tapped into something much more um, universal, and uh, we're not using our own biological, personal effort, if that makes sense. Yes, and we're not efforting, we're not forcing it, we're not... In a way, we're going downstream. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, we become vessels. The more and more we align and the more we allow ourselves to be, you know, the hollow bone, um, yeah, there's a lot more ease that happens. And as I understand, you started doing body work is how you got into all this. So the body is a very sacred place for you. Definitely, I mean, the, the truth is I was, I was, uh, I got my BA in psychology and I was ready to jump into a master's program before I even left the campus. And the two schools I was interested in said, I think you need a little life experience first. And so I went straight to massage school and spent a good 15 years doing that. And I'm so glad that that's how it happened because, um, you know, I'm interested in, in, what you might call it, imaginal psychology or sacred psychology, and the body, the body is, it's all there. It's all in the body. And uh, so that was a great first portal, and it definitely informs everything I do. 
that's beautiful. Mm. So when you work with with change in people, it sounds like the body is a source of a lot of that, or the integration of the body on all and all our different levels of awareness that happen in the body. Yeah, it's the source of guidance, and then it's also the source of, um, you know, our our wounds. So we can we can talk about our wounds forever, but if we're we're if if we're tracking the body. The, and we're bringing awareness to where that wound might live, one, we have more possibility of moving it emotionally, moving it energetically, and then feeling what's new. Well, what's what's there now? And uh-huh. as we do that, we imprint that in ourselves. So the more we can bring awareness to, to our body, we have access to what needs to change, how it's changing, what's what's different, and it all gets imprinted. And I think... In, you know, I know you do a lot of NLP, and I think the term is anchoring, right? Right. Where you anchor. If you don't have the body, there's nowhere to anchor the new change. And so, and if you don't have the body, there's really, you're only going to be in your head retelling, recycling something old. So the body is the place where change happens. The body, yeah, it's core. That's really beautiful. And so then it can lead us out of, old stories or repetitions. Definitely. Well, we have to be willing to sit with the discomfort, too. I mean, again, you know, the culture we live in, there's a lot about speed and efficiency. And, you know, the the soul is nature, and the soul is on nature time, and you can't rush nature. So whatever is occurring, our awareness is what allows the river to move. But we're not we're not in charge of the pace of that river. But we can join with it, and when we join with it with our awareness and our body, then we've got the potential for real change. Yeah, and sometimes we're in the shallows floating along gently, and sometimes we end up in the white water. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yes. So would you like to walk us through a short ritual? Is there something we can do? Um, Hmm. Virtually, as it were, and maybe because it's virtual, to start us a little bit in our bodies, maybe with breathing or something, so that. And if you're driving, please don't listen. If that's comfortable, you don't have to. But if there's something that would be comfortable to do. And listeners, um, please, if you're driving, please pull over or stop or mm -hmm. ground yourself well. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, that's an interesting. I, I Let me sit with that and also say what first sparks my mind. So the mindfulness and the body awareness, a lot of that comes in the gathering phase of tracking what's present. And then <clears throat> when we're in the ritual, it's not mindful when it's a transformative container. In a way, the container, the structure of the container, the power of it, and the strength of it is what allows us to actually let go of the tracking and surrender to an experience that hopefully, um, in a way, um, I don't know if it takes us, I mean, sometimes it takes us over to that extent, depending on what kind of the potency of emotion present. But we let go of that witness when we're in ritual space because we're we're being carried and we're just surrendering to what wants to happen here. And the way the body may show up in ritual, which is different than the tracking and the mindfulness, is how does 
what's what energies are here because ritual will will magnify whatever's there and maybe your body wants to move and maybe mm-hmm. there's wailing and maybe there's dancing and maybe there's collapsing on the ground until your body is done feeling the depth of exhaustion you've been carrying for years and so where the body exists in ritual is very different than the the gathering phase where there's a lot of attention to the subtlety of what's present in the moment wow beautiful yeah i've never heard that articulated before thank you very much yeah i don't think i've ever had the opportunity to articulate so thank you <laughs> yeah. So in that way, I don't know that I can re- lead you through a ritual. I could lead you through. Um, I don't know what I could lead you through over the phone. I mean, the other Maybe thing a about of one. Uh, if not, we can move on. Uh, you know. Yeah, but I think the other thing about ritual um, is that, and these are these are kind of like lines that have stayed with me from my training is that spirit demands specificity and so there's no way to do a generic ritual the ritual the the more specific we are about what we're challenged by what we carry in our hearts what we long for that's the potency of ritual because then Again, whatever it is for you, the ancestors, the mystery, the earth, God, can respond to that exactitude of what you're carrying in your soul. And so in that way, um, ritual can never be generic. Ceremony can be generic, but ritual can't be. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting, so that there's a real... So part of the gathering is to really find out what it what it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that you're needing or being that one is needing or being pushed by or being led to, yeah. and then ask for help. And it's interesting because I also have found through my own experience that the kind of help, there there needs to be some specificity about the help as well. Mm. Um, Sort of like asking for courage and strength will give you courage and strength and not necessarily softness. Mm That other things come with it, but it, but it's um, that the, that the universe really, the ancestors, the mystery respond to our capacity. Well, I guess to our to our question, to our focus, to our intention, but also to our capacity to respond and understand that we filter it, create it, that that it's a that it's a communal activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a conversation, really, and I think that's that's ancestral wisdom. Is that everything's a conversation, everything's a conversation, and everything's capable of being in conversation. So, what do you yeah. mean by that? Meaning, meaning, whether we're in conversation with what the Greeks call the diamond, the, the the being that reminds us why we're here and mm-hmm. continues to tap on our shoulder when we're not aligned with our calling, 
um, the the um, African tribe, the Dagara might say it's the ancestor. So there's, you know, who are we in conversation with? Or you might say uh, your body reminds you because your body clamps up and contracts when somehow you're not in alignment. So whatever that source is, and they all can work together, we're in conversation with that. And then and then we're, we can be in conversation with the earth. And what is the earth wanting from us? And when we walk through the forest, are we just... Are we in the Western mind that says, oh, there's a redwood and there's a kind of, you know, a different, you know, an oak or, or are, so this is the image, another image that came to me um, that I just love. This was just yesterday, so I, I think it was meant for this particular conversation, which is, so the conversation obviously is happening with the subtle. You know, if you're if you're gonna be in the woods and mm-hmm. and you're you're a scientist and you're studying the bark of a tree, there's not going to be a lot of conversation. But so the the example is the the eyes are the window to the soul. So if you're mm-hmm. looking at somebody's eyes and you're just you're in hard focus and you're looking mm-hmm. at their pupil and you're looking at their eyelashes, you're not going to see their soul. You're going to see the physical manifestation of their eye. If you shift your attention and you shift your perception to engage the subtle and you could say the unseen, but the palpable, you mm-hmm. can feel their soul. Are they sad? Are they even in their body? Are they vacant? Are they beaming with light? What are what, what is what is this soul that everyone can agree the eyes are the window of the soul? Everyone innately understands that. There's so much that comes through people's eyes. And so it's a great example of shifting our attention. When we shift our attention and the way we perceive to a place of receptivity and subtlety, we can mm-hmm. be in conversation with anything. I, I can't say I've had conversations with quote-unquote innate objects, so maybe, you know, maybe that's a further evolutionary step, but certainly <laughs> nature. <laughs> right. Human and anything, you know, in nature, there's a whole conversation that can happen, and each of us have, again, these different strengths and portals. I've been speaking to trees since I was five. I didn't know it, but right. then, of course, looking back, once I studied eco-psychology where, you know, the earth-based wisdom is really informing psychology, I realized I've been, you know, on my walks to school every day. There were these two trees that I would have these conversations with. So um, I just, I love that because it also the idea of the window to the soul and the eyes for me feels like an example that everybody can understand and play with. Like, am I in hard focus? Am I in soft focus? Am I receptive? Am I active? And then, again, those visionary channels come in. So when I'm in that state, what shows up? Does it an image? How am I receiving the conversation? Maybe I'm receiving it through images. Maybe I'm receiving it through sensations. Maybe my inner ear is very active and I'm hearing some speech come from this stone or this water. Who knows? And so that's that's the speech of the soul. That's the language of nature. And that's how we can have conversations that inform our lives. It's really beautiful. Mm. Yeah, as I drive in, I live out past a, a house I grew up in, and there are these gorgeous, large um, evergreens, huge trees, mm. and for years, and they've been there my whole life. And for several years, I kept thinking, oh, I should write to people in those houses and thank them for keeping these trees mm. alive. And I never did that, and I thought, oh, I should just thank the trees for being there every time mm. I pass them. 
and it's a really beautiful, they're just this wonderful presence. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody's felt that when you go into a forest, and one of the powerful places to feel it is in the redwoods because they're so big and they're so old. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to maintain our ego in their presence. Exactly. Hallelujah. <laughs> so nice to have somewhere where it's hard to maintain the ego. Yeah, it's a majesty, and yeah, and the and the sense of being being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. And what other things do you? So the ritual is a very important part of what you do with people. But you mentioned uh-huh. a couple of other things. Do you want to talk about those? Let's see. Well, I mean, the, the focus of my Calling. work is really people aligning with their purpose, and mm-hmm. so. Um, you know, the ritual can serve that, whether it's, you know, needing to go through the, the things I've already mentioned. We can't really follow our purpose when there's a, a big life event that needs to be digested or moved through. We need to do that first. Um, and then that can, of course, Oh, now that's really interesting. So that's mm-hmm. part of being where we are. Mm-hmm. So in terms of making goals, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that really struck yeah. me. In terms of making goals, we also have to to prepare ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, and and there's timing for everything. And if what the soul is needing is is healing at this moment, or what the soul is needing is to do some completion with something, then that needs to be tended first. And and to trust that that is part of the process of in, engaging our calling. To trust the process. Sometimes we're taken into a nine months descent, and we don't do one productive thing towards our calling. Well, you have no idea what the richness that will come from that descent. We have to trust the soul's journey and it's it all it all leads back to our our gifts and an expression of our gifts if we can be in relationship to it in that way we're not given you know our fast-paced lives one it's hard to even to slow down enough sometimes and and then because we're so isolated sometimes we don't feel we have you know who who, what are we going to fall into do we have a container do we have a community can we fall apart we need to fall apart that's part of you know, there's the the three the three phases of creation is to you know creation, maintenance, and destruction. We need to fall apart. That's part, we are nature. That's part of our rhythm. And uh, and yeah, it takes it takes uh, some strength and to step outside the cultural norms to give ourselves that. You know, and hopefully to have some community or some sacred container to hold that process. So, and I think I let us off track because you were talking about helping people find their purpose. And so part of it is to create a container where they can, can process. Well, just thank, sorry, go ahead. Can process and begin where, whatever goals they want because I know, I mean, I'm a coach and I watch people set goals, but we also have to be ready. We have to. Right. Yeah. Prepare on, on many, many, many levels. True, and and the goal still has its place no matter where we are because it's like it's a marker, and mm-hmm. um, and I think it's important because it is also an expression of the soul. It's a longing, you know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, the goal comes from the soul, right? Where there's some deep, deep right. longing, and so even if even if we set that goal and then we have a descent experience that we didn't plan on. That goal may be very, very much part of that descent, 
the universe or, again, whatever intelligence you call it, and say, oh, you, you want to be a public speaker? You want to speak nationwide, internationally? Okay, well, in order to do that, um, I'm going to have to take you down <laughs> because we got to get, we got to transform a bunch of identities that aren't going to serve you in that goal. Who knows how it works? It's very mysterious. But the goal is an important part of the process regardless of, of what kind of phase our soul is in. It's part of the, it's part of the equation. So it's important. Those goals are important. And how do you know if your goal is, is relevant to you or is a calling or is a deep longing? Is that again listening to uh, the body? Great question. How do you know? I think longings do show up in the body. Like, my longings are in my heart. It almost is an ache. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a feeling of an ache and then there's, you know, so there's a feeling of sensation that you can track. So I feel like right now I feel in my heart and, yeah, it's got a slight ache quality and then you can also let your body move. So how does the body move with longing, let's say? And my back wants to arch and my head wants to go back and my arms want to go out and it almost feels like some kind of surrender or looking up and and so if it's if it's really rooted deeply, I think the body will it'll show up in the body. You know, again, there's no separation between the body and the soul, and you know, so it will show up in the body. Yeah. Yeah, because I have found you know people say, oh, I think I ought to do this, and right. I'm having a hard time making it happen, but I think I ought to do this. Yeah. You know, and it sounds like this is a very useful way to say, well, is it? Sounds like maybe not an external source, but not an integrated source for for that motivation. Uh huh. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, well, let me see if I can catch that thought. Um, so what's interesting is that so say we are tap into a longing, and it's really clear that that's our longing or that's our goal, and mm-hmm. then of course there's all the steps that need to be taken. And then there's a whole discernment process. That's when a lot of the shoulds I ought to come up. Well, if I want to be a public speaker, I should do this, that, and the other. So the the process of following one's calling can be very counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. And things that make so much sense to your mind are not necessarily the next steps. And so, again, the body comes in of... And the soul, the soul through the body, the sort of speech of the soul, through all the visionary channels and through the body, the kinesthetic sense, is what's, what is the intuitive thing about what's next? Okay, you know, I've, I've had lots of shoulds. Like, how could I not do this training? I think, how could I not take somatic experiencing, Peter Levine's work? How could I not do that training? It just, it makes so much sense. But have I ever been called to do it? No, I haven't. Do I go do it? No, because that's not where that energetic, physical, emotional pull is taking me. Uh-huh. Or with, you know, the ancestral wisdom piece, you know, I have a lot of um, awareness about the ways that that ancestral wisdom and studying other people's traditions can be a form of uh, acculturation and, um, you know, disrespect and just not conscious. And so I've had this should, I should study my own traditions. Well, if that's aligned with my values, it's really, you know, if you look at taking actions based on your values, you think, well, of course I should do that. But 
I've thought that for a good, uh, I don't know, at least 15, 20 years. And I've ne- I never felt the pull towards my own traditions. I would try and it just fell flat. Now I'm having a huge opening there. But it wasn't on my timing. It wasn't based on trying to be politically correct or aligned with my values. I had to follow the stream where it took me. It took me to the Andean culture. It took me to West African culture. Now my mother's Jewish ancestral tradition is is just blossoming in my field and realizing all the wisdom I've garnered from these other traditions, so much of it exists in my own, but it wasn't up to me, the timing. So there may be a, a hundred shoulds that seem not just logical and intelligent, but but necessary and aligned with our deepest values. And again, it's just not up to us where the next step comes from if we really want to live in this kind of soul-centered, spirit-driven way. It takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of trust. But the more you do it and the more the magic happens, you're just like, it just gets easier. It gets easier and easier. Yeah, and really exciting, and you end up in very different places exactly. than you thought. Exactly. Then you're playing so, in the in the unknown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it and yeah. it sounds as though your participation in your Jewish ritual is now very deeply grounded in what you've learned from looking at the role of ceremony and ritual and other. Yeah. On a human level, not not locked into you do this pattern, you do that pattern, but what is this really about? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of um there's a lot of places in me for it to land, you know. Mm-hmm. That have already been kind of prepared. So yeah. And perhaps helps move us around all of the sort of external Stories that get attached to a specific culture, way of being, whatever, and so that we can participate in it as opposed to, I guess I'm feeling it from the inside as opposed to from the outside externally. I have to do this. This is where I fit in as opposed to Mm -hmm. this speaks to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you have a number of exciting things coming up. Mm-hmm. that you are going to be doing out in the world. Yeah, I have this fall um, two two new offerings I'm really excited about. One is called Birthing Yourself, and there's a website which is birthing-yourself.com, although you can also find it on my website. But um, And that is a nine-month journey. It's soul-centered and earth-based, and it does allow the soul the time it needs to to do that kind of um, the third phase of creation, which is the, um, the letting go, the death, the, the deintegration process so we can reintegrate in a more full way. And so we do some sacred wound work and some shadow work. There's a vision fast, um, and then there's an integration period. So it's, it's kind of a nine-month ritual, and uh, that will be open to about ten people. It will be up in Ukiah on weekends. All the dates are um, on the website. And then I'm also going, yeah, and then I'm also going online for the first time, which I'm excited about. I have something called the the, uh, Clarity Process that helps people um, get clear about their their calling from a soul-centered place 
and uh, utilize a lot of what we talked about today, whether it's our mythic story, our ancestral, ancestral wounds and ancestral gifts, um, the allies in this world and the next, the seen and the unseen allies, the beingness of calling, the doingness of calling, and, and then at the end ritualizing our calling in some way and consecrating it in the world. So um, those are the two new offerings, and one is very local, obviously, and one is open to anyone no matter where you live. And uh, I have my individual work in Santa Fe, California. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot opening right now. Unexpectedly. Those all came kind of unexpectedly, and they came again from kind of going with the nonlinear and taking some risks that my mind told me not to, and then things fell into my lap. So it's a good example. Yeah, you end up someplace else than than where you thought you were headed. (laughs) Exactly. And I know you have a newsletter. I do, yeah, and that's you can sign up for that um, on my website. And it's been coming out seasonally every quarter. I might be sending that a little bit more often, but um, at least quarterly. And that always has a ritual recommendation um, at the change of season, so some kind of simple way that you can explore ritual yourself for the theme of the, the season, whether it's indoors in your home or outdoors in nature. It's, it kind of gives different options and ways to approach ritual. Wonderful. Well, again, we have been talking to Dr. Anina Livingstone, and that is her website, and it is www. A-N-I-N-H-A-L-I-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N-E dot com. No spaces in there. Anina, thank you so much for talking to us about ritual and change and the deep journey of listening Mm. to your soul. Mm, Thank you so much. It was just total pleasure. Thank you, Nika. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. 